Well, hello there, Beat Check listeners. I'm your host this week, Shane Dixon Cavanaugh, Portland City Hall reporter. And today I am joined by my newsroom colleague, Noel Crombie. And we are gonna chat a little bit about Measure 110, Oregon's pioneering drug decriminalization law, something that Noel has been following closely for the last three years. And maybe somewhat surprisingly, there's been quite a lot of news surrounding uh, this law just within the last couple of weeks. And Noel's been sort of staying on top of all of that. So I wanted to, Noel, first thank you for being on the podcast and just wanted to open up, open it up to you to have you just sort of walk us through what you've been paying attention to and what you've been writing about. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'd say that the politics around Measure 110 have, as you said, really heated up in the past month or so. Um, I guess before we get into that, it's uh, helpful to remind listeners uh, about what what is Measure 110. It was a it was a voter approved law that um, did two things. One, uh, decriminalized small uh, possession of small amounts of street drugs like heroin and meth, uh, making possession of those drugs uh, not a crime but a violation and putting that on par with basically a traffic ticket. The idea there would be to then, um, these folks would, would stay out of the criminal justice system and be routed to um, treatment services um, and supports to help them recover. That That is the part of the law that gets you know the most um, attention and is the most controversial uh, part of, of this policy. The second part, um, which is also you know extremely important, is that it funneled hundreds of millions of dollars into treatment infrastructure in Oregon. Oregon has long ranked, um, was posted dismal rankings when it comes to access to treatment. And this law envisioned um, creating a, a more um, comprehensive public health approach to addiction. This, the whole idea behind Measure 110 was to shift our, uh, our view and approach to drug addiction um, out of the courts and criminal justice system and into a public health model. And I think that, you know, this, this was an idea that appealed to a lot of Oregonians across um, the political spectrum to some extent. Um, people um, can could clearly see that um, cycling people in and out of jail um, who were really, their chief problem was a drug addiction uh, was not particularly productive and not a great use of the public's money. Um, and so I think this idea of, okay, treating this more, you know, give, give folks a, a, a citation, uh, keep them out of jail, and then here's a phone number, and then they would be able to be um, directed to services um, that the voter was sort of envisioning would exist. Um, but in, I think what, what's happened and, and wh- why we're kind of having the discussions now three years in is we had a decriminalization took place very quickly after the law was passed. And the implementation of this very complicated new bureaucracy around treatment was very slow to get off the ground. At one point, you know, in the, the first year, I think 
uh, we had a story where uh, the people who were trying to help design this referred to this as, you know, chaos. Um, it, it just didn't have, um, there didn't seem to be a lot of organization and direction in those early months and that, and that faltered and that image um, has really stayed with, with the public that, okay, so we've decriminalized, where, where are these folks going and getting services? Um, and it turns out that, that those services have been, um, you know, just, just starting to get ramped up now. Um, uh, statewide. So I, I wanted to just let readers know what the backdrop of this is. Certainly. And aside from the very rough and rocky rollout, which you just touched on here, I think the other thing that's really led to sort of a shift in perception or support, and we'll get into that in a moment, you know, behind the measure has just been this unanticipated, to some extent, explosion in the use of fentanyl, which back in 2020, when this measure was first passed, certainly was on the streets uh, in Portland and other parts of the state, but not to the degree to which we see it now. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how fentanyl is really kind of reshaping people's, you know, perceptions uh, of just the drug crisis in Oregon or in Portland and how Measure 110 sort of intersects with that. I think that's had a profound impact on the public's perceptions around Measure 110, particularly in Portland, and you and I have done a lot of reporting on um, the fentanyl epidemic, particularly downtown. We've both spent time on the streets um, talking with people who are uh, dependent on fentanyl and also police officers who are encountering them every day. And I think that that kind of open drug use and the difficulty in trying to um, police that um, and contain it have contributed to this idea that Measure 110 is to blame for that. I think that the, the but the but the epidemic around um, fentanyl, um, you know, I think we could we can argue about you know is Measure 110 to blame for that? Or that that just sort of coincided, I think, with with the implementation of this new policy, and then when you add in the pandemic and um, issues around houselessness, you really have this kind of um, uh, challenging set of factors that people distill down to measure 11, uh, measure, excuse me, measure 110 as being to, to blame. Um, you know, when I talked with people who do use fentanyl on the, the streets of Portland, they were pretty clear that, you know, that, they did feel somewhat emboldened um, by the fact that there really aren't any consequences, and you can see that play out. You know, if you uh, spend any time with any beat cops downtown, you know, there's really no effort to move. If if there's a big cluster of people who are using fentanyl together on a you know very public sidewalk, you know, I was with Portland cops, and as they approach, there's just there's no urgency around that or sense that they need to get moving. And I think, you know, when you talk to folks, it's like, well, what can they do other than give us a citation? And um, so that that has definitely played into um, public perceptions. And 
A couple of weeks ago now, you had a piece out that really kind of captured a snapshot of public perception around Measure 110. And it really is quite striking, this poll that you wrote about. It's an Emerson College poll. So this is a very reputable and legit, uh, you know, nationally renowned polling firm that was looking into voter perceptions on Measure 110. And again, this was a ballot measure that passed with an overwhelming amount of support back in 2020. But the, you know, the numbers here that jump out is that at this point, 56% of the voters, Oregon voters who were polled in this survey said they support a total repeal of Measure 110 now. And 64% said they supported significant changes to the law. Yeah, it was striking. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, 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 look, yeah talk, I mean, talk a little bit about, did, did those numbers surprise you at this point in time? Or and what parts of the poll really stood out just beyond the sort of, Mac, you know, the aggregate numbers that, that, that really sort of drove the headlines, at least around the poll? Well, I mean, I think that is what stood out to me, though, is just the... Um, uh, how radical the buyer's remorse seemed. It wasn't just um, a kind of tinkering around the edges. If only we did fix this or this part of Measure 110, uh, voters could then you know, feel good about it. It was really, as you said, a repeal. Um, and, and that suggests what going back to the system that we had, which was um, you know, relying more on courts and jails to help with this issue, um, it was really striking how sour the electorate had had become on this public policy that just a few years ago was being touted as this kind of first in the nation pioneering approach um, and and perhaps a model for the country. Um, this is a, a model that's based on um, you know, Portugal, uh, their longstanding decriminalization approach and here, Oregon had a chance to really stand out. Here would be a state with historically poor access to treatment, perhaps reversing that and really becoming a standout. While voters in three years have said, we're done with this experiment, put it back to how it was. Now, certainly supporters and proponents of Measure 110, of which there remain many, you know, one of the arguments that they've put forward, and it's not an unreasonable one, is saying we just need more time to let this new system and law get put into place, and especially to scale up and provide the promised treatment, which is part and parcel with the decriminalization of small amounts of street drugs. And I know that in this article on the poll, and we'll have this uh, posted in the show notes as well, but you had Tara Hurst from the Oregon Health Justice Recovery Alliance, you know, mentioned that to date already, uh, according to them, 8,400 people have received treatment services in Oregon since the, the, the creation of Measure 110. But I'm curious, do we have more precise or detailed data on what exactly does treatment services entail here and beyond just the, the, the large number of people receiving treatment services, what else do we know about 
those figures? Yeah, you know, I was looking at those uh, earlier um, to prepare for our conversation. I, I was wondering if the state had more up-to-date figures than, the, than um, uh, December of 2022, but those are the latest figures. And it, and it looks like, um, according to the Oregon Health Authority, which helps to administer and implement this policy, the money has been spent on a wide range of things, which is exactly what um, how advocates pitch this law to begin with. That includes um, uh, treatment, just actual treatment, and that's about 8,000 people who have received uh, treatment so far. More than, than that, though, people have received um, peer support services, um, harm reduction services, um, and then to a much smaller extent, help with housing and employment. Um, you know, and I think, you know, one, one of the, um, philosophically, one of the issues that is becoming more uh, clear or, or stark in these, this political debate that's surrounding Measure 110 is, um, is, is this desire among critics of Measure 110 to impose more accountability, um, to, to really force people into treatment. Um, and to, to, to remove this idea of a choice. And if there is a choice, well, then the choice is between treatment or jail. Um, sort of kind of a maybe returning to more of a, a drug court um, system. And uh, people like Ms. Hurst, who is helping to kind of um, also implement this, she represents the organization that um, includes the Drug Policy Alliance, which helped fund the campaign for Measure 110, she and others uh, who support Measure 110 have really emphasized, uh, de-emphasized really accountability and emphasized harm reduction um, and um, uh, providing, you know, the opportunity for treatment, uh, but not necessarily directing people to treatment. And I think that's really been a, a philosophical disconnect here um, and I think we're going to hear a lot more about that as these, this debate around the future of Measure 110 um, continues to um, heat up. I've certainly heard about it among the people who want to see this uh, reversed. As you mentioned, I've done some reporting lately on that political effort. Um, and there is a coalition of civic and political leaders and, um, uh, uh, who are saying, um, we want to, we want the legislature to address the, the problems with Measure 110, or we're going to take this back to the voters. And as they see it, their their main, um, their chief complaint is um, the kind of that decriminalization component, not the money going into all these services, but um, making minor drug possession a crime, making it a misdemeanor. They acknowledge, though, um, that returning to the system that we had is not what they're seeking. It's not um, entirely clear yet, you know, what, what, how their system would work or what, you know, what exactly they're, um, they would like to see other than let's bring the criminal justice system back into this. Uh, and, and measure 110 folks like Ms. Hurst are saying, um, this is just, you're just going back to a system that, that doesn't work. And also we're just getting this, this other infrastructure up and running. Let's see how it goes. And I want to get into a bit more detail with you about this coalition that's coming together that is going to push to unwind portions of Measure 110 
at the beginning of next year, it looks like, when the legislature meets for a short session. But before we do that, uh, just getting back to sort of the the treatment side of of the law and the data that we have at this time uh, I, I brought up the 8400 people have received treatment services but what beyond that what is the state tracking right now in terms of outcomes from from these treatment contacts i mean is there more detailed data that the oregon health authority provides do we know what happens to folks after they receive these treatment services or peer support services or connected with housing and job services are we are there measurable outcomes are there goals are there metrics you know what what's out there yeah, point. that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I, um, I'm not seeing that level of data on their uh, so-called sort of dashboard where they're tracking um, how, how the dollars are being spent. Um, they, uh, they are tracking the race and ethnicity of the people who are um, coming into the system. Um, this, by the way, is a state, it's envisioned as a statewide approach. So, um, you know, these services are, uh, you know, these are obviously are statewide figures. What I, I think is interesting is that, uh, and by the way, they are tracking the number of encounters each of these folks who are entering the system are having um, with, with the system. But I do think it's interesting that, uh, you know, treatment was the, I think, the big selling point for the voter. And, um, what we're seeing in at least in this early data is that um, more often people are getting other services uh, paid for by 110, whether it's um, you know harm reduction um, or housing. You know, and I, I think this other issue that's come up in in, our, in my reporting is you know when police issue these citations, which they, it's kind of hit and miss depending on the community. Some communities embraced it. I would say very few communities embraced it, but you know, there are a couple in Southern Oregon that, you know, went with, this is the system and they were using citations. Um, and Portland police was used, were using the um, citations to much less extent. Um, but these citations have a phone number on them where people can seek treatment, you know, make a call and get some help uh, and be screened for, for all kinds of services. And what we saw was there were so few tickets being issued that that wasn't really a productive route into treatment. Uh, what Measure 110 advocates have said is, hey, that's we're moving away from citations. We're moving away from police being the entry point for treatment. And we want people to just, you know, if they need help, here's the number. And we've actually been running that number with our stories because it's, it is this idea that this isn't um, uh, only a, a system you can you can access through the criminal justice system. But back to your original question, it does not look like outcomes and success with treatment, at least at this point, are being tracked um, in the, and, and if they are, I can, I, I can follow up on that. Right. I, I just know that this is an issue that comes up a lot for me and some of my reporting around homelessness and addiction issues in Portland specifically, and I'm pivoting quickly to just sort of Multnomah County, where we're sort of running into uh, a, a similar situation. For instance, 
uh, in the last year, this new behavioral health resource center for folks who are experiencing homelessness or addiction and behavioral health issues, there is a sort of service hub that's in the middle of downtown Portland uh, that uh, a lot of folk, that a lot of people are currently accessing. And Multnomah County uh, can, has provided figures and numbers about the number of people who are accessing services at this resource center. However, at this point in time, they have also said and conceded that they have not really come up with a tracking system to find out what the outcome is for individuals who are accessing these resources. And I'm just, I'm so I'm sort of interested to see, you know, at what point and when will the state begin tracking outcomes for the treatment and other services that are being accessed through Measure 110. I mean, because at the end of the day, I mean, a lot of the public and voters and residents, they kind of want to see what the, what the, what the results right. and figure out ways to measure the success or failure of, of the treatment side of things in particular. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, moving on a little bit, in terms of the politics as you said, heating up around Measure 110. I mean, first of all, you did the reporting on this poll that sh that shows voters are really starting to sour on this measure. And then soon after that, you had this uh, in-depth piece that is looking at <clears throat> and sort of uh, revealed that there is this group that is coming together to really make a hard push uh, in the in the legislature. And if that doesn't work, then potentially to bring a ballot measure to voters uh, to either roll back, repeal, or you know, radically alter Measure 110 as it currently stands. But tell us a little bit about who are some of the folks that are involved in this effort. And I'm sure our listeners are going to be familiar with some of the names, but some of them maybe not so much. Yeah, it's a coalition of um, people that include Max Williams, who uh, was a former Oregon uh, lawmaker, and he was the top administrator of the Department of Corrections and has gone on to be um, you know, a leader in um, the community. Um, the, or, um, let's see, Washington County District Attorney Kevin Barton is also part of this effort. Um, Dan Levy, who is a longtime political consultant. Um, Paige Richardson, another longtime uh, political consultant. Uh, Betsy Johnson, of course, a former uh, candidate, uh, gubernatorial candidate, um, is um, helping to fundraise for this. Um, and those meetings about you know, raising money and getting support, financial support, are happening now. Um, and you know, if if the these folks do end up having to um, mount a ballot you know, an initiative campaign that'll be really expensive. So they're, um, you know, they're in that, they're raising money. I did speak with um, Jordan Schnitzer, a really, you know, prominent Portland um, real estate mogul, uh, say, who said, you know, he was going to be pitched on this idea um, shortly. And, he was inclined to um, to support it financially. I spoke with uh, Tim Boyle, you know, of um, Columbia Sportswear. He said he said 
the same thing, that he had pledged support. Um, and what I heard from both of them was, again, this kind of accountability component being missing from Measure 110, and also a concern uh, specifically for downtown Portland. And um, this feeling that, of, that they perceive it as, um, you know, there's a kind of an element of lawlessness around uh, drug use, and that that drug use is tied to other kind of quality of life crimes. And um, they wanted to see a firmer hand um, here guiding people to, uh, to treatment. And if they opted not to have treatment, then some, you know, some kind of sanction. Um, I will say that, you know, uh, the group that has helped to usher in implementation of Measure 110, you know, Tara Hearst's organization has pointed out that, hey, you know, forced treatment, um, you know, there are powerful anecdotes around success of people in drug courts and people who come clean um, after being in jail or prison. Uh, but, you know, anecdotes do not make policy that, you know, studies have shown that forced treatment actually as a policy is not a particularly effective one. Um, and so they've uh, really tried to draw attention to that as a counter argument to, um, to, the, to, the, to this group, to this coalition's arguments. And I know that perhaps it is a bit premature and, uh, but in terms of making a successful lobbying push, I mean, if there's going to be any substantial changes to me the, the Measure 110 law, you're going to have to convince Oregon lawmakers to enact those changes. And I know that you spoke, I believe, with uh, Portland Rep. Rob Nose as well as Floyd Przansky, uh, who is the state senator from Eugene, uh, about this push. And I'm just wondering what you can tell us uh, or what your sense is in terms of the six potential success of pushing something like this through the legislature next year. Yeah, I would say neither of them were particularly enthusiastic about you know, any kind of repeal. Um, that, that seemed to be almost a kind of a dead on arrival idea, um, you know, a total repeal. This is something that the voters approved and um, there's reticence to do a wholesale reversal. Um, you know, Senator Przansky, but 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 really fast. Are, are, I was just going to ask, but are they? Are you know? Is this coalition that's coming together? Are they talking about a wholesale repeal? Um, no, no, uh, no. They're not. It sounded you mentioned yeah, earlier. No, they're right. talking about basically okay. re recriminalizing minor possession. But some people might see that as you know, it's the cornerstone of Measure One Ten, um, and it's perhaps an effective repeal. Um, However, yeah, the co I want to be really clear. This coalition has said they want to tweak, not repeal. Um, they want to continue to put money into the treatment um, element of that uh, a policy. Uh, they're not talking about withdrawing, you know, changing that funding formula. Um, they're really just focused on decrim. Um, I and so when I when I'm saying repeal in the that's what I'm talking about in the context of my conversations with the lawmakers, I don't know that they're interested in recriminalizing 
possession, minor possession. Um, you know, and, and I think uh, Senator Pazanski made an, an interesting argument that probably is would be persuasive to some of his colleagues that you're already dealing with a beleaguered criminal justice system, one that is um, weighed down heavily by a public defense crisis um, that's particularly pronounced in Multnomah County and Washington County. Um, and by doing this, do you then compound this problem of, of public defense and, and clog courts? And then what's the outcome of that? Just cycling people through jail. So I don't know that, I think both of them said they were, and I did speak with other lawmakers as well who were quoted, um, who, you know, there's an openness. I think there's an acknowledgement that, yeah, this policy, we're open to, to, to changing it. We're open to some revisions. What those are though, is really in play. And since, you know, one of the defenses that have been offered by proponents of Measure 110 uh, has simply been that there's uh, there hasn't been enough time yet to kind of get the treatment side of things up and running, firing on all cylinders. And I'm wondering if you've heard from lawmakers and or proponents, supporters of 110, uh, have they given sort of a timeline at this point as to when they expect to see that portion, the treatment portion of the measure to be fully implemented and, you know, delivering what was promised in the measure at, at this point in time? I, I don't actually know the answer to that question. If they've provided a timeline for what you're saying is, you know, sort of a fully functioning system, um, I, I don't I don't know if that timeline has been provided. And if it has, I'm not aware of what it is. You know, I will say that, then, that the state, you know, that so far, um, if you get back to the, uh, the data that the Oregon Health Authority has, has um, compiled thus far, I mean, the state has awarded $265 million um, to more than 200 organizations that provide or that work in, you know, in this kind of treatment area. So, I mean... The, the program is definitely up and running in terms of money going flowing out to organizations and um, some people beginning to access those. Uh, so it's it's not we're not where we were a couple of years ago where it was you know months into the the, the laws enactment we still hadn't seen any money going out. And Noel, the, the last thing I wanted to talk with you about with regard to Measure 110 and sort of the third and final uh, story installment that you've uh, put together in recent weeks is that the uh, major financial backers of 110, as you reported earlier this week, are putting together a trip to Portugal and bringing along a whole host of folks from Oregon, including elected officials, law enforcement representatives, uh, treatment and behavioral health workers, and was hoping you could talk a little bit about this trip and what we know about it at this time and 
why is this happening now? Yeah, the the um, Oregon Health Justice Recovery Alliance, um, which help which is helping to oversee the implementation of the Measure One Ten, and again, it's a, a coalition of of groups that help to uh, get this law passed, including um, the New York-based Drug Policy Alliance, which is a national organization that advocates for drug decriminalization um, and was a big funder, not only of Measure 110, but also of of the um, successful uh, cannabis legalization law in Oregon. Um, They, uh, this group um, is organized, really a large delegation from Oregon uh, to travel to Portugal to see how Portugal's decriminalization policy works. And it's a pretty big cross-section of people, uh, lawmakers, the Multnomah County Chair, the Multnomah County District Attorney, some uh, police leaders uh, from Portland and Salem, uh, and then a lot of people in who work in um, substance abuse treatment um, and harm reduction. And uh, they will be traveling at the end of October, the beginning of November. Um, some of their some of the expenses um, for some of these participants are being covered by um, the alliance, uh, which has you know rankled some um, some people uh, who are critics of Measure One Ten. Uh, there are no Measure One Ten dollars, no public dollars, for, you know, being used. Um, no, I should say no measure 110 dollars are being used to um, underwrite these trips according to the alliance. Um, and uh, they are taking these folks on, on what they've described as a fact-finding mission um, to meet with the architect of Portland, excuse me, of Portugal's policy, to see what a treatment center looks like in the capital, to um, talk with people who, are um, beneficiaries of the um, treatment services, um, and and also I think I think um, among the things they're doing is also speaking with people who are formerly incarcerated, um, perhaps for drug crimes, um, really to get kind of a, a look at how the policy is uh, playing out there. Um, I did receive a comment from Multnomah County. District Attorney Mike Schmidt's office, who said, you know, the DA is going to see what, you know, what works, what doesn't, and bring some of that back. I spoke with uh, the lone uh, Republican lawmaker who's going, um, Lily Morgan uh, from Southern Oregon, who is a staunch opponent of Measure 110. And she um, said she was going just to kind of, uh, you know, fact check to make sure that the information that's coming back to Oregon um, and being reported back to Oregonians is uh, accurate and what she heard from on the ground there. So um, it's, you know, it's, um, it's a, a big group. I, I think the last count of it was maybe a dozen people were going. It could be more, um, but it's a significant group um, with the idea that they will come back and work to uh, tweak, change um, Measure 110 um, to make it more effective. And was there any names not on the group uh, among the participants in this delegation that surprised you? I, I, meaning, 
you thought that that it was surprising that an individual wasn't going on this trip or who would have made sense to go? Or is it sort of a group of individuals who, what am I trying to say? Uh, if, if, the, if the group of individuals sort of checks all the boxes in terms of the key stakeholders in, in sort of the, the, the lot itself and its implementation. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess when I look at the list, there aren't a lot of natural critics of the, the, um, the, the law. I mean, there are some um, police uh, figures, there'll be police representatives, you, you know, union officials, um, um, and, you know, just one, one lawmaker. And so I, it seems like a group inclined to already be in support of the measure, uh, largely. And so I'm not sure about change of hearts and minds coming out of the trip, um, give, given that representation. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. And is the idea behind having this trip to Portugal, this quote-unquote fact-finding mission, is to bring back some ideas with the expressed purpose of making changes to Oregon's measure 110 law. Is, is that sort of, is that sort of the impetus behind doing this trip right now? Or are there other, you know, potential reasons for, for, for sort of, for sort of the timing, I think is the thing that's really caught my attention and interest here. Yeah, I mean, I think you're raising a good point. The timing is, um, it's interesting because we're three years into a policy in Oregon that is, uh, in theory, modeled after Portugal. So this, perhaps this trip um, may have been better, you know, perhaps taking the trip before um, the policy was imp implemented or maybe when the policy was in the planning stages. Uh, maybe that would have made more sense, but um, now three years in, when the policy is kind of hitting some rocky, uh, you know, rocky road here in terms of the public's perception of it, um, the so the timing of it is is you know it's just kind of interesting to me in that regard. Um, I don't know that it, it the express purpose is to um, come back and fix Measure One Ten, but but even. Even people who are supportive of Measure 110, political leaders who are supportive of it, see you know, they're they're reading the room that you know the, the electorate is um, dissatisfied with how this policy is playing out, and I think you know they there there is um, at least you know a political um, awareness that the policy um, you know may may need to be changed, and so perhaps the trip is a is an, is a, a way to see how that how a well-established program, you know, what, what it can teach um, Oregon as it's really, really still in its early stages of this. This is a huge shift philosophically and politically and just bureaucratically. Um, and it, you know, it's, we're three years in and um, it was a, it's a giant ask. And so um, I think it's kind of a taking stock time. And so maybe these leaders are going just to see how can we improve this? How can we, how can we, how can we save it? How can we um, make it so that it is more palatable to the general public? Well, Noel, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time today talking about this 
issue. It's certainly uh, front and center on a lot of readers and voters' minds at the moment. And I know that this is a topic that you and I are going to continue following closely in the weeks and months ahead. So thanks again. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show. And be sure to tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism and stories like this one is with a subscription to the Oregonian Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.